Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, well, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as lead pastor on eldership with my wife, Ebony, and the incomparable Herrick and Heather Berga. Would love to meet you. I love that you gave him woes. It's awesome. It's love. It's honor. I love it. Um, yeah, we'd love to meet you if we haven't met yet. This morning is uh, hot. Yesterday was like ungodly. Um, and it's, what is it, only May. So brace yourselves for the summer. All the more reason for us to be very grateful that God brought us back here to Margarita where there is air conditioning for our children. Uh, very thankful for that one. Now this morning, we're going to be uh, continuing on in our series through the Gospel of Matthew called The King and His Kingdom. And kind of the, the whole premise for this series is we've been investigating the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you've heard this, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are synonymous in the scriptures. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what we're referring to is God's rule, God's reign, God's ways, when he is king, right? It's, it's a kingdom where he's the king. And uh, maybe you've heard the phrase like the will of God. That's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Uh, if you look around the world, the world is filled with a bunch of different wills. And when I say wills, I don't mean like people's name will. I mean like the will, a human will, a, a, a God's will, right? And you have all these different competing wills and they're battling to see whose will will be done, all right? Whenever you see conflict, it's usually there's a battle of wills going on. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's rule, God's reign, God's will being done. And, and kind of, again, continue on with our premise here. For whatever reason, Western people, especially Western Christians, and I'm not sure why, they tend to think of like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God as something that you go to after you die, primarily. And that's, that's true, but it's limited. It's, it's, it's lacking. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is so much more than just something that you go to after you die. Uh, a quote from a theologian that we've been putting in front of you every single week for, gosh, like several dozen weeks now is D.A. Carson, he talks about how the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is more a reign than it is a realm. It's more a power than it is a place. The kingdom of heaven, hear me, the kingdom of heaven is where God's will is done. Wherever God's will is done. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. And the Bible talks about how the kingdom of heaven is a reality that we can experience right now not just after we die, partly in the present and fully in the future. I say partly in the present because there's a reality that things are not the way they're supposed to be right now. We can experience uh, the way God intends for things to be partly in the present and we will experience it fully in completion in the future when he comes again to make all things right, to make things the way that he intended for them to be before sin entered the world, okay? So, 
we're continuing on in this series. We're in the middle of a Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached by the greatest preacher and teacher, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So much goodness. One of the things that's been really hard to, to, to kind of preach through the Sermon on the Mount is we're taking, we're taking it kind of chunk by chunk, and it's so deep. I mean, people have been studying Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount for literally thousands of years, and it's like you barely scratch the surface. There's so much wisdom. There's so much goodness. There's so much for us to glean here. And it's been challenging to try to like fit into like, I don't know, an under 30 or under an hour long message to try to cram everything in. But this is another one of those weeks where there's so much richness. There's so much goodness in our passage today. So for the sake of time, go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have one, we're going to be in Matthew chapter five again. If you don't have one, we'll have the words on the screen for you. I will be in the Christian Standard Bible as per usual, that translation. So if you don't have that translation with you, no worries. It will be up here for you so that you can follow along. Okay, uh, before we read God's word together, I'm going to pray. So will you join me? God, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you make yourself available to us. Thank you that the treasure of the Bible, the treasure of your written word is just that. It's you want us to know you and you make yourself available to us. And so I pray for maybe in some supernatural ways this morning that we would experience your presence through your word. I pray that you'd help me. I really want to honor and bless um, these precious men and women in this room, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in all of our lives. So would you help me? Would you bless us? Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. Illuminate our hearts to the reality of who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. Show us the way. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter five, we're gonna read verses 17 through 20 this morning, so go ahead and read with me. These are the words of Jesus in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached. He says this, speaking to his disciples, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's our passage. Okay, again, Jesus teaches a lot here. And just to put it in front of you again, we're talking about, we're going through this series in light of the kingdom of God, the king and his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? That's what we're trying to discern here. There's a ton here, okay? But I want to highlight three things specifically, all right? Now, the first thing that I want to highlight is the reality that the law and the prophets, they reveal God and his ways. Now, when I talk about the law and the prophets, when Jesus references the law 
and the prophets. What is he talking about? It's important for us to know this quickly, okay? Four possible meanings for the original audience that would have heard this. These would have been Jewish people. They would have had kind of four potential meanings when they heard Jesus talk about the law and the prophets, okay? The first one would have been the Ten Commandments. I'm, I, I bet everybody in the room has heard of the Ten Commandments, right? It's, the, it's the, the Ten Commands that God gives Moses for his people, right? Essentially what the Ten Commandments are is like God gives very detailed uh, GPS directions, if you will, to human flourishing. So if you want to flourish as a human being amongst other human beings, if you want to thrive, here's how you do it, Okay? Here's, do this and don't do that, and you together with other humans will flourish and thrive. If you steal, if you commit adultery, like things are going to f- mess apart. Like if you murder, it's going to jack things up. Make sense? God, very clearly, that, that's one of the possible, the, one of the meanings of the law that, his, that Jesus' hearers would have processed. Another thing that they would have processed the law as is the Torah. If you're familiar with uh, the Torah, the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, Right? So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books in your Bible, in the Old Testament, that's the Torah. And the Torah to the Jews was by far the most important part of the Bible, the most important part of their holy scriptures, all right? Now, the third thing here that we need to talk about is the prophets. So when he references the law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, right, it's kind of all that together, And the prophets, what is Jesus talking about? He's referring to the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. So the Torah, the first five books, everything else in the Old Testament, that's the prophets, okay? So when he talks about the law and the prophets, what's he talking about? He's talking about the entire Old Testament. You with me? Okay, cool. Uh, Now there's one more thing. I said four, right? There's one more thing here that Jesus' audience would have processed potentially as the law. They would have associated with the law. But this one's different. I'm referring to the scribal law. All right? We just read it. He referenced the scribes and the Pharisees. There's also the scribal law. Now, scribes, what they did was they would add these detailed kind of rules and regulations on top of the commands found in the Torah. All right? So let me give you an example. One of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath. Right, uh, the Sabbath is unto the Lord. It's it's one day out of every seven days where you give yourself over exclusively to rest, to to filling your soul. Like so many of us, we go so hard in our lives, we grind. I think about you parents driving your kids everywhere. I think about those of you in your career where you're working your tail off. We were created to work hard. But God also created us with limits to where you spend one out of every seven days giving yourselves over to being refreshed and renewed in God and his goodness. I don't mean like filling up a day off, going and doing a bunch of other entertaining things, although that, that's fine, but this is, this is different. Keep the Sabbath. God created us with limits, right? It's a day of rest. So these scribes, what they would do is they would like, okay, cool. Okay, we, wanna, we don't want to break the law. We, we want to keep the Sabbath. So we need to flesh this out some more. So what they would do is they'd go like, okay, so Sabbath is a day of rest. So therefore you shouldn't work. So what does it mean to work? 
So then what they would do is they would try to discern what does that mean. And think about it. this is 2,000 years ago, and this is pre-electricity, right? I'm so glad you guys did the, did the, the candles. So what they would do is, it like, is it work for me in the, when it's dark, is it work for me to pick up a lamp and, and, and kind of move it to another area? Is that work? We don't know. Like, we've got to figure this one out, right? They, I mean, they would literally argue about, like, is it work to lift your child, like a parent to lift their child? Because they want to keep the Sabbath. It's kind of wild, right? So they would argue about what was and wasn't considered working on the Sabbath. That's just one command, right? Keep the Sabbath. So they would flesh this out for everything. And as a result, they added hundreds and hundreds of very detailed rules and regulations on top of the law. You with me? Okay. So, for example, they concluded that to write, right, was a form of work. So, therefore, it was forbidden on the Sabbath. But here's the thing. Writing had to be defined, right? What does it mean to write? So, let me, here's a typical passage from the scribal law, okay? This is not the Old Testament. This is not Bible. Check this out. Quote, he who writes two letters of the alphabet with his right or with his left hand whether on one kind or of two kinds, if they are written with different inks or in different languages, is guilty. Even if he should write two letters from forgetfulness, he is guilty. Whether he has written them with ink or with paint, red chalk, vitriol, or anything which makes a permanent mark. Also, he that writes on two walls that form an angle or on two tablets of his account books so that they can be read together is guilty. But if anyone writes with dark fluid, with fruit juice, or in the dust of the road, or in sand, or in anything which does not make a permanent mark, he is not guilty. If he writes one letter on the ground and one on the wall of the house, or on two pages of a book so that they cannot be read together, he is not guilty. End quote. Did you get it? you clear on the scribal law? You're able to obey that perfectly? So these scribal laws, detailed rules and regulations that were added on top of the original law. So don't write two consecutive letters so that you can keep the commandment of keeping the Sabbath. Get it? Now, this was also referred to as the oral law because they would pass it down orally from generation to generation. Now, the scribes, you need to understand, the scribes, these were the men who worked out these added rules and regulations. They came up with them, essentially. They refined them. They they, they put them together. The Pharisees that we read about, Pharisees, what that means is it means separated ones. So these were the men who separated themselves from all the ordinary activities of life to keep all these rules and regulations. So like an analogy would be like people who are really into fitness and bodybuilding and stuff, like all they do eight hours a day, seven days a week is like get buff and get strong, dedicate themselves to that. These are like religious bodybuilders, dedicating themselves to all the, keeping all of these added rules. You with me? Yeah. Now here's the thing about the scribes and the Pharisees. These guys hated Jesus. I mean, they, you know the story. They ultimately end up crucifying Jesus with help from the Romans. 
And here's the thing. They hated Jesus so much. One of the reasons they hated Jesus so much is because he kept breaking these added rules and regulations. I mean, Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath. If you can't write on the Sabbath, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You're working. So Jesus, he'd heal people on the Sabbath. He would touch the unclean of society, the lepers, those spiritually and physically and metaphorically unclean. I mean, the way, the way that Jesus engaged with women, women were thought of as second class, like just property, and Jesus would engage with them with honor and dignity and respect. So he, he kept breaking these added rules and regulations. Why would Jesus do that? Uh, will you guys, Everett, will you throw up that first uh, cartoon thing for me, the first slide? Anybody know who this is? Wow. A lot of you guys. Any, well, be, just be real. Okay, safe place. Anybody not know who this is? You're not going to be shamed. It's a safe place. Okay. Yeah, this is Waldo, all right? This is Waldo. Waldo is famous. When I was a kid, there was these famous children's books uh, called Where's Waldo? All right, this is, this is Waldo. And these books were a lot of fun because kind of the, the goal was to try to spot Waldo as you're going through the pages of the books. Uh, Martin Hanford, he's a, a British artist and he, he's an illustrator. He created Waldo. Waldo here is an illustration. Let me read you the definition of illustration. An illustration is a picture or diagram that helps make something clear, all right? So, so illustrations bring clarity to things. Illustrations, they help reveal things. So in this case, Martin Hanford's illustration, what does it reveal? It reveals Waldo. It reveals a fart, uh, a fart, a fictitious cartoon character. It reveals a fart. Okay, track with me. <laughs> no, but his, his illustration, it reveals a fictitious, is what I meant to say, cartoon character, Waldo. Uh, will you guys throw up the next, the next one, number two? All right. This is also an illustration of Waldo. Can you see him? He's in there. This is also an illustration of Waldo, but this version has some stuff added to it. A lot of unnecessary stuff. And I say unnecessary because where's Waldo? Listen to me. The purpose of the law and the prophets was to reveal God and his ways to his people, to to reveal his character, to, to reveal his glory, to reveal his power, to reveal his faithful love, to reveal his ways, his commands, what he desires for his people, right? The purpose of the law and the prophets was to reveal who God was and what he'd done and what he promises to do in the future. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they come along 
and they start adding all this unnecessary stuff. And Jesus ain't pleased. He's like, where's God in all of this? The law and the prophets, they reveal God in his ways. Listen to me. All the added rules and regulations, they didn't reveal God in his ways. Instead, they redefined God and his ways. Friends, that's religion. Hear me. That's what religion is. Pick your flavor. Religion, it adds to the law. It adds to what needs to be done to be made right with creator, right with God, right with the divine. And these scribes and these Pharisees, they added to the law. A bunch of unnecessary stuff. And in the process, not only does it kind of like water things down, but it redefines things completely. And the next thing you know, you have a total misrepresentation of God and his ways. Listen to me, everybody, give me your eyes. People in your life, if they don't understand the truth about God, you know what it oftentimes is a result of? It's a result of religion, misrepresenting God in his ways. It's really hard to find him amongst all the unnecessary stuff. You with me? Look back at verse 20 with me quick. Verse 20, Jesus says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses, if you, have a, if you have a pen, underline that. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the lifestyle that these scribes and these Pharisees were living, it wasn't God's way. The ways that they're adding all this stuff, the religion, the misrepresenting God in his ways, dude, Jesus says that lifestyle is not God's way. It wasn't his kingdom. It wasn't his rule and reign. Remember, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's more a, it's, it's more a reign than it is a realm. It's more a power than it is a place. Now, this leads me to my second point this morning, and that's this. Uh, Jesus shows us two ways here to forfeit the kingdom of heaven. Two ways to forfeit the kingdom of heaven. We just covered the first one. That's religion, right? Adding to the law, right? Additional requirements on top of God's requirements. And the outcome is that it distorts God and it distorts his ways. The second one here, though, is rebellion. What Jesus refers to as abolishing the law. So this is basically when you kind of pay no mind to God's commands. Like it's when we get rid of them, okay? And here's the thing, maybe not all of them. For some people, they're just like, get rid of all of them. For others, it might be just one or two. But either way, this is what Jesus is referring to is abolishing the law. Pay no mind, pay no mind to God's commands, getting rid of them. Maybe not all of them. Maybe just the ones that we don't like or agree with. And here's the thing, uh, guys, rebellion is actually really easy to spot, right? Like, I know I'm not supposed to lie, but I did. Fairly easy to gauge, right? My eldest daughter, Amelia, when she was a toddler, 
she went through this phase. And it was, it was, it was a quick phase. It didn't last very long. But it was this phase where she would like disobey really politely. So I'd be like, all right, Millie, um, we're going to pick up these toys. We're going to put them back in the bin right now. And she'd go, no, thank you, daddy. And she's like, no, sweetie, uh, these toys right here, we need to put them in this bin right now. We're cleaning up the toys right now, sweetie. No, thank you, daddy. All right, babe, I need you. We're going we're gonna to come with me. We're gonna, it's time for bed. It's time to get ready for bed. Let's go. Oh, no, thank you, daddy. No, thank you, daddy. Rebellion's super easy to spot, isn't it? It's saying no to God in his ways. No, thank you, daddy. You can't even do it politely. Religion. Religion is not as easy to spot. Therefore, you could argue it's way more dangerous. Jesus had, Jesus had a much more difficult time with the religious than he did with the rebellious. In our passage, Jesus opposes both religion and rebellion. He opposes adding to the law and abolishing the law. And, and guys, here's the thing. Like, Let me just... Go gospel for a second. Jesus came to do what religion and rebellion could never do. In verse 17, verse 17 is one of the best verses in the whole Bible. He says he came to fulfill the law. Think about that. Fulfill the law. That's the gospel. Like, if you need to understand Christianity, that's Christianity in a nutshell. Jesus fulfilling it. It's this idea of God in your place, both his death and his life. I think most people kind of get the comment, okay, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. That's spectacular, by the way. Like Jesus taking on the punishment, him receiving the wrath of the king, almighty God, for the ways that I rebel against the king, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. But it's not just his death in your place. It's his life. It's his perfection, him fulfilling the law. So here's the thing. Here's how you know if you're kind of like falling into that trap of religion. Instead of focusing on who God is and what he's done, the gospel, religion starts to focus on what I do or what I don't do. You see, religion tends to look to God primarily as a teacher. God, teach me. Show me what I need to do and what I need to not do. With religion, it's your performance that determines whether you're acceptable or not. Whose performance? Yours. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Some of you are are struggling in life right now, because you're basing your worth on your performance. Either for better or for worse. You're basing your worth on the fact that you perform, quote, better than other people. You're not as bad as them. Or you're basing your worth on your performance and that you don't perform as good as others. Hear me, please. 
you need to understand that's the opposite of Christianity. It's the complete opposite of Christianity. Christianity doesn't look to Jesus primarily as a teacher, friends, although he is one. Christianity looks to Jesus as a savior, as the one who came to do what you and I could not do for ourselves. It says he came to fulfill. He even uses the word accomplish. Hear me. It's his performance that saves. It's his performance that redeems. It's his performance that reconciles. Jesus perfectly executed God's commands, perfectly carried out God's promise from generations prior through the prophets to save his people who are self-destructing with both religion and rebellion. You with me? I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, religion says this. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel is the opposite. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Totally different heart posture. You see it? It's all about what's happening in you internally. You're a tree that bears fruit, and the fruit that you bear is determined by your roots. What's going on in you at a deep level? Uh, anybody ever explored the Eastern Sierras? Is Austin in the room? I see you, Austin. Chris, I see you. Allah, Harrison, I see you. I see that hand. I, see that hand. <laughs> uh, I love the Eastern Sierras. I love the Western Sierras too, but I have a special place in my heart for the Eastern Sierras. Uh, mountain range just north of us about six hours, and then you can go up to like another 12-hour drive. Beautiful, beautiful place. All right, special area. Not only is it beautiful, but it holds like a lot of sentimental value to me. A lot of wonderful memories created there, made there. So many great times throughout my life. Uh, in college, me and a few friends went on a fishing trip. I enjoyed to fish the area as well. And so we go up to Mammoth. Anybody familiar with Mammoth? About six hours away, okay? And one of the cool things about Mammoth is there's all these lakes kind of scattered throughout the area. Some of them are kind of clustered together, spread out, all the whole thing, right? And so the five of us, we pile into one of my friend's car. We're already up there. We're staying at a place. And the goal for the day was we're just going to fish. And so we drive to this lake, Lake Mamie. Great name, Mamie. We drive to Lake Mamie, and we get out, gear up, and we just start fishing. And after like, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, I just start to get impatient. And here's the thing. I enjoy fishing whether I catch something or not, especially in an area like that where it's just gorgeous. It's like, even if you're not catching anything, you just look around, you're like, this is so beautiful. Like my soul can actually breathe. So I'm not the guy who's like, oh, I'm not catching fish, this is awful. But I start getting impatient about 20 minutes in. I mean, nothing's happening. There's not a bite in the water, nothing. And so me and a buddy were kind of looking at each other like, dude, you want to like cruise over to Lake George? It's like, Lake George is right next door to Lake Mamie, like super quick drive, right? I'm like, do you want to go to Lake George? This is not working. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So we go, hey, you guys, we want to go to George. This isn't, Mamie is not happening. And the other three guys are like, no, nah, man, I think we're just going to chill here. I don't want to get back in the car. Da, 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 da. So me and another buddy, we drive the quick drive over to Lake George. And Lake George is beautiful. It's real pretty. 
and we're fishing and not much has happened. Same, kind of the same vibe, right? Same vibe. And we're there for about an hour. And after about an hour, we just kind of go, okay, let's throw in the towel. Starting, starting to kind of get late in the day. And so we drive back to Mamie to pick up the other guys. And when we got there, when we arrived, it was clear that something had happened. Like, we get out of the car, we're walking towards the lake where they were, and they're like hugging each other and high-fiving and like hysterically laughing. And like, if you know anything about fishing, like you're not supposed to make a lot of noise, you know, like it's kind of like a thing. And they're like fired up. It's like inside jokes are happening. I'm like, we've only been gone for an hour. Like what could have possibly happened? And so we ask them, we're like, what guys, what's going on? And we're like, how was Lake George? And we're like, ah, it's same. It was kind of lame. You know, we didn't catch anything. Not really many bites either. And they're like, and I could see it on their faces. This wasn't made up. They're like, I've never seen anything like this. They're like, the fish were leaping out of the water. They're like, it was like the water was boiling because there was so much action. Like, they're like, they're, they're like in, in the best way, like afraid, but in awe. It was just like this worshipful, crazy experience. Fish are leaping, the whole thing. They said, for about 30 minutes, we just would throw our line in and we just, everybody just kept catching fish. They're like, we lost count of how many fish we caught. You should have stayed at Mamie. That's what they kept saying. Still to this day, I, keep, I hear that. Should, should have stayed at Mamie. I opted for Lake George and I forfeited all those fish. Like, I still regret it. I know that might sound silly. Friends, Jesus is teaching us something timeless in this passage. When we opt for rebellion or religion, we forfeit the kingdom of heaven. We forfeit the kingdom of God. And not just like after we die, but here and now. In this moment, And in this moment, the moments of your life are precious, friend. See, both rebellion and religion, they approach life on my terms instead of God's terms. The religious, right, with their additions and their merit, the rebellious with their disobedience, both of them are a my way instead of God's way. And here's the thing. If I'm the king, guess who can't be? You got it, baby. If I'm the king, God can't be. When we opt for rebellion or religious, we forfeit the kingdom of heaven. So, in love, friend, in this season of your life, which one are you more prone to? Religion? Your merit, your performance, what you do? Or rebellion? All right. I'll call the band up. I'll close with this one. You guys with me still? You okay? I'm totally going to make time this morning. You're welcome. <laughs>
All right. So, you can approach your life rebelliously, and you can approach your life religiously, and both of them forfeit the kingdom of heaven, right? But there is a third way. Uh, the summer before my senior year in high school, it was a, it was a really memorable summer for me. There's a lot of things that happened that summer. Uh, I played, I was really into music and sports in school. And I played, uh, I, I was on, I played uh, two kind of, more, two sports were my main sports. I I'd swam for a little bit, but I didn't like it because it was just, forgive me if you're a swimmer, I just couldn't do it, man. Like by myself, just go, go, go. Um, but I played water polo. One of the sports I played was water polo. I heard somebody gasp. You play water polo? Yeah, girl. Come on. <clears throat> what, what, what was your position? I played uh, Yeah, girl. Yep. So I played point and hole D, which is basically like, if you can think of basketball, it's like I'm the, I, I got to be the point guard, and then I would guard the center. <laughs> so it was this unique kind of thing where you, you, know, you handle the ball at the top, and then you, uh, you guard usually their strongest player. And you can see me. I'm not the biggest, strongest guy in the world, but for whatever reason, I could swim. I was a strong swimmer. And uh, so I really enjoyed water polo. But that summer, going into my senior year, it was like a switch went off in my mind or something. Like something clicked. I, I just, I, I kind of figured out, like my game kind of progressed to a point where I was like, oh, I think I can, do, I could really do this. Like I can really grasp the game and actually like start to execute at a, at a, at a higher level than I did prior. And <clears throat> I remember that summer we had this tournament in Riverside. So, we'd, you know, hop in the bus early in the morning as a team, drive up to Riverside. And we had two games before lunch. And if you're familiar with water polo, it's one of those sports where it, it's, it's, it's exhausting. I've played a bunch of different sports in my life. Nothing really holds a candle to water polo other than maybe boxing. Because it's, it's, it's not just strength or endurance. It's like strength and endurance all the time. Like you're always going. It's really physical. And I remember uh, that tournament. I remember the two games before lunch. And I remember the second of those two games. And I was like, like all arrogance aside, please, like I was on it. Like, it was one of those moments where I was like, I wish more people were at this game. (laughs) But I was like, on it, man. We played one of the schools from Corona. Uh, I think it was like Santiago, I think it was. And they had a good team. That game was was especially tough. It was a low-scoring game. It was like a back-and-forth game. And we ended up winning the game. Eight to six. And your boy had six of our eight goals. And I was like... Come on. That's so arrogant. I'm sorry. It's not who I am. It's not who I am. But, uh, but I remember after that game going like, dude, I can hold my own. Like, I can do this. I was like fairly impressed with my performance. I remember thinking like, I can play. And I remember after that tournament, you know, you get back on the bus with your team, make your way back home. And I get home and I'm just exhausted. And at this point, it's like late in the afternoon. 
I, I laid down on the couch in the living room and I just passed out. Like a hard nap. Like one of those naps where you're like already sleeping before you really get to the, you know, you're, you, before you get horizontal. And I, rem- I can still remember to this day, I've told this story before. Uh, some of you guys know where I'm going with this. But I remember, I, I can still remember my dad getting home from work. And he walks in the house and he's like, uh, he's like, hey, Tom, uh, I, I want you to water the, the plants in the front yard. I'm like, give me an hour, Pop. I'll, I'll do it. Like, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I played two water polo games this morning. I'm, I'm like fried. I mean, let me just like, finish my nap. I'll, I'll do it right away. No, Tom, I need you to get up now and I need you to, wa- I need you to water the plants. Um, Dad, I don't think you heard me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm really tired and I just want to take a nap. Like, I, I'll do it as soon as I'm done with my nap. Hey, Tom, go water the plants right now. And as any teenager with angst would do, I was so polite back to him. I was so kind. Yes, Father, your will be done, you know. I said something to the effect of like, you know, like, living here is like living in a prison. I know what you guys don't care about me. I'm just tired. I just want to take a nap. Like, why can't I have a nap? Why can't I do it afterwards? And I kind of get out and maybe I slam the door or maybe I don't. I don't remember. But I remember I leave the front door and there's like right outside the front door, there's one of those watering buckets. I pick up the watering bucket and our porch had like plants in the porch that I was supposed to water. So I walk off the front porch. I, I cut over through the driveway around to the side of the house to where the water spigot was. I fill up the water bottle and I'm just like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm filling up the water bottle as it's, as it's, as it's filling up. I look, I just kind of glance over in the driveway and I see a sparkling clean 1997 white Ford Ranger pickup truck with a manual transmission. And we didn't own a 1997 white Ford Ranger pickup truck with a manual transmission. And I turn off the water and I'm carrying the bucket back across the driveway towards, and there's my family waiting for me. I totally ruined the moment. My behavior, (laughs) my behavior should have forfeited me that truck. But my father was gracious. Despite my behavior, Pops provided with me, provided me with something that I couldn't provide for myself. All I could do was receive it. You know how humbling that is? Friends, Jesus, there's nobody like him. He never ceases to amaze me. He provides what we cannot provide for ourselves, friends. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of God's promise through the prophets to save the forfeiters. That's you and me, the religious and the rebellious. So hear me. You can live your life one of three ways. You can rebel. You can be religious, right? You can rely on your own performance. And both are a rejection of God and his ways. 
or you can receive. Friends, that's Christianity. That's what it is. It's a bunch of forfeiters who receive God's gracious gifts over and over and over again. Question for you this morning. Have you received God's grace for you today? I say today because it's not like a one and done thing. It's an everyday thing. The psalmist talks about how God's mercies are new when? Every morning. Every day they're new. Have you received his forgiveness today for the ways that you rebel or the ways that you're religious? Have you received his perfect resume in place of your imperfect one? That's Christianity. And how do you know if you've received it? Like, how do you know if you're like, I've actually received it? Is it just acknowledging that it's true? You know you've received it. One word. Gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude for the gift that you do not deserve. And here's the thing, guys. Like that gratitude, it changes you. When you experience that gratitude, it changes you. Like on an internal, the deepest part of who you are. It changes your desires, namely from my will be done to Father, your will be done. Your will, your ways, your rule, your reign, your kingdom, from the kingdom of Tom to the kingdom of God. From the kingdom of Kevin to the kingdom of heaven. That was smooth. And the same applies to you. Which are you more prone to? You can live your life one of three ways. You can rebel, you can be religious, or you can receive the gracious gift of the kingdom through the body, the blood, the life, and the death of Jesus. His mercies are new every single morning, friends. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Would you minister to us in ways that my words can't? I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, actually. Would you stand if you're able? I think there's something about this posture that's going to bless us. Yeah, Spirit, we open ourselves to you. Help us to be people who, the the main thing about our lives is that we're uh, recipients. Recipients of, of a grace, of a gift that we don't deserve, but that's offered to us every single day.
Uh, I feel like I feel like the Spirit's highlighting specific people right now, and I just want to uh, honor what I believe He's um, the ways that I believe He's leading. I feel like there's some of us in the room. You're reaching, man. You're reaching for stuff. And in order to and in order to get what you desire, in order to get what you really want, you have to take the path of religion, or you have to take the path of rebellion. And I feel like I feel like God really wants to bless you this morning. I think he wants you to know you don't have to do any of that. To get what your heart desires most, all you have to do is receive. And so if that's you at all, I want to invite you as a posture, like you're a physical being and you're a spiritual being. And as a posture of receiving, I just want to invite you to hold your hands out if that's you, if you want more of what God has for you, more of his kingdom in your life. Some of you, I feel like you need to receive forgiveness this morning. Not just from God, but from others. Some of you, you're struggling with your worth because you're looking to your own performance. And Jesus is crying out. He's going, hey, like, look over here, man. (laughs) Check out my perfect record. I did that for you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would honor the faith of the men and women in this room with their hands out in front of them who desire to receive from you that with which they cannot acquire themselves. That's your grace. That's your mercy. Show us the way, Jesus. You're so kind. You're so good. Thank you. You didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in our place. We honor you now. Amen. So friends, what we're going to do right now in this moment is we're going to respond. This is a moment when, when we collectively and you individually respond to the goodness and the grace of God, the never-ending forgiveness that he offers you, the never-ending faithful love that he's made available to you in himself. He's the fulfillment, so you don't have to be. You're accepted so that now you can obey. You don't need to obey anymore to be accepted because Jesus did in your place. So we're gonna praise him together. Um, If you're on the prayer team, if you wouldn't mind making your way over to the side of the room, there's trusted men and women who are gonna be making themselves available to pray. If you have any need, uh, if if God's highlighting something in your heart and in your life, Take him up on the invitation for him to meet you in that space. He's going to use his hands and his feet. He's going to use his people to minister to you. You can go receive that anytime. They'll pray for you for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And then Herrick will come up and pastor us. He'll close us, okay? Spend some time responding to the love of God and enjoying him, okay? Love you guys. Thank you, Father, for sending your son for us. We're really grateful that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He was successful in every way that we have failed to be kingdom people. He showed us the way. I thank you that he fulfilled all that was written so that we could be recipients of your grace. That's good news. I pray that we'd receive it as good news today. We love you and we're grateful to you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.
You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. So three things that we talked about today. Easy to remember, religion being one. Religion has to do with adding to the law. And sometimes it's adding our own understanding, our own wisdom, life on our terms. There's also rebellion, which is an abolishing of the law. And that's a it's saying no to God and to his ways. So two ways of forfeiting the kingdom, religion and rebellion. But there is a third way that's receiving. And really that's accepting Jesus on two fronts that I think are important. His, his work for us that saves us and then also his ways that free us to become who we were created to be. And so as I was thinking about how do we respond today? What does it look like to respond? I think there's a couple other R words that work. Actually, I guess it's one, one new R word. Number one is to receive Jesus on his terms. And one of the, one of the pictures that came up, so every, every week we have people praying for this gathering, praying for each of you, praying for this time, asking God, what are you up to? What are you doing? What are you highlighting? What's your agenda for this morning? And today, one of the pictures that came up was of someone, kind of like a ship going down and then throwing up a white flag. So for some of us, I think what we might need to receive is his rescue. We just need to throw up a flag and say, I'm drowning. Jesus, rescue me. Life on my terms isn't working out. Or life as it is is not working and I'm drowning. Rescue me. So for today, some of you might just need to receive his rescue. You might just need to throw up the white flag. One specific way to do that actually is to go get prayer. We've got people up here on the side and also we'll be up here too that would love to pray for you. That would love to help you take the next step to receive the rescue of Jesus for your life because things just aren't working out. So receiving Jesus on his terms, receiving his rescue. And then I'll add one more R word. Release. I think for some of us, we might actually need to release some things that keep us from receiving the kingdom. And some of it might have to do with expectations, expectations that you have on people potentially even, expectations that aren't being met, that are causing anger, that are kind of beginning to choke out the life of the kingdom in you. And actually next week, I'll be teaching on anger so this kind of flows right into, this is the logic, I think, of the Sermon on the Mount. There are things that could choke out the life of the kingdom in, your, in you. And so I think one of the things that might be worth con- considering is, are there expectations that I have on other people that are not God's expectations, but are mine, that I might need to let go of because it's choking out the life of the kingdom in me through anger and bitterness. And we'll get into all that next week. I encourage you to come back for that to unpack a bit more. But I think for most of us, it's probably going to be just receiving Jesus' love right where it hurts, right where our brokenness is most pronounced. So I got a couple more things real quick. Like I said, there's always prayer happening for this time. And one of the things that came up during prayer was a really interesting phrase. Actually, I guess it's a character. We talked about where's, where's Waldo earlier. How about Pippi Longstockings? That one came up in prayer. For someone here, this is really specific. It might make sense to you. 
the word Pippi Longstockings or the character. To be honest, I was born in a different country. I have no idea who Pippi Longstockings is. I think I missed that between birth and when I moved here to America. So, what's that? But is it Paul? It's a good question. It's confusing. So I don't know who Pippi Longstocking is, to be honest, but you do. If this is for you, like this is probably like one of those, like, yeah, it's me. God sees you. And there might be something to that that he wants to call you out, minister to you specifically. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to get prayer. If you remember the Where's Waldo picture, did anybody actually find Waldo in that? No? Okay, good. I didn't either. And I was in the front row, so I was like, something's wrong with me. Because it's with all of us. It's just hard to find him, right? God finds individuals sometimes. And so if that Pippi Longstocking word is for you, it's sort of like, where's Waldo? He's found you in this gathering. He's called you out. Go get prayer. Receive his love. So receiving his love, releasing our own strategies, our own understanding. I think that's the invitation for this morning. And last, but certainly not least, there's a birthday in the house. Little Beckett is one today. Britt and Justin. Which I think is actually really remarkable because I remember him being born. It just feels like it was like a, such a long time ago. It's only been a year. <laughs> COVID time. Happy birthday to you, buddy. You made it through a year of COVID life. So with that said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a soft close. So it's actually 1145, which means that there's plenty of time. If you would like to receive prayer for literally anything. We have a prayer team up here. We'll be up here in the front. We've got 15 minutes. At 12 o'clock is when kids ministry, that's when we ask that you please go grab your kids to relieve the workers back there. But there's lots of time. So you are free to move about the cabin, free to receive prayer. Maybe there's somebody that you need to talk to in this room that there's stuff that's coming up. You're like, I need to deal with this today. Maybe you just need to talk to an adult because you're with kids all day. That's okay too. Maybe you just need to go to lunch because you're starving. That's cool too. Whatever it is that you need to do, you are released. This is a soft close. And in 15 minutes, if you have children, please go grab them at noon. Know that you are loved.